Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, and also CPS. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, and if you are struggling in a high-conflict relationship, divorce, custody battle, or co-parenting situation that requires individualized attention, let Chris and Lisa at Ben There Got Out hold your hand along the way while providing expert strategic guidance based on one's years of success as a pro se, coupled with the other's high-conflict divorce co-certification. Go to bentheregotout.com, and I will put this in the podcast notes. Right now, I have a return guest. His name is Bill Edgett. He is from Canada. He is going to talk about his documentary that he's doing. He was on my show on August 13th. He was podcast 83. So he will be talking about patterns of abuse and the six other individual cases of parental alienation that will be included in his documentary. So thank you, Bill. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. So how did you get six people to want to participate in this? Actually, I got a great many uh, more people that wanted to participate or had other people they recommended I review their cases to add to this uh, documentary. It all started with uh, me being quite frustrated with all the difficulties I was having trying to uh, basically prove my innocence uh, when really I, I don't have to. Um, innocence doesn't need to be proven. Uh, guilt has to be proven. And there are criminal standards for which uh, proof has to be met. The problem is when you're in a civil setting, such as family court, those same rules do not apply. And oftentimes judges will make decisions out of fear because a false narrative has been created um, prior to ever reaching the court, which usually involves the police and child protection. By the time it reaches the court, there is a great deal of paperwork that seems like the person that is in court now is the the perpetrator of abuse and is causing all the problems in the situation and uh, they're unreasonable and not willing to co-parent and are trying to cause problems that is usually not the case but uh, on paper like i said when you start looking at the different agencies when they get involved at the times they get involved um, these influence these family court settings and uh, conf case conferences and trials. And the, the main and main item that's going to be in all of these situations is the alienator is going to be telling a story of fear. She's creating a false narrative. She or he, sorry, I hate using pronouns because it happens to both males and females so bear with me if i make a mistake and start using pronouns it's okay <laughs> it happens uh, the alienator will uh have already gone and sought advice on how to go about getting custody and when they approach their lawyers the lawyers will most likely or in some cases may not uh, just be more forthright saying, well, if you can show that there is an abuse, a pattern of abuse or uh, 
misconduct, bad behavior, if any of these things are happening, we can make the application for you to get sole custody. But these are the things that are required. So if you have any examples of that, we can put that into an affidavit, submit it to the court and make an emergency application to make you primary caregiver of this child or these children, whichever the case may be. And I, I started off, I was just trying to navigate my case. And I, I was being attacked by the police, child protection, um, my ex, uh, her, her boyfriend. Uh, I was getting it from all sides. Uh, mm. you now, because financial uh, finances were involved, such as the house, the mortgage was stopped paying, uh, being paid on, and that kind of forced her to come to the table to negotiate. Um, so this was where I was going, and after so many years of going through this process, I I said I've got to. I've got to put out a documentary because I thought the police would help me. I thought child protection would help me. Mm -hmm. I, I thought these agencies were there to protect the children, protect mm -hmm. families. Uh, instead, they've heard a story. They heard a story months before I ever got to court or got to say anything or defend myself. So when I get there, they've had six months of reviewing all this material and are already very biased against me based on the information that was pro provided. And since there were a no number of different agencies involved in submitting their evidence, it looked like they all found something. But mm -hmm. what it was is they were just circling around the same story. And none of it was true. So, so yeah. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Do you think, that, like, the other six people who were telling you their story, kind of, there were some uh, issues that, they had the same problems going on as well with these patterns? The, the six other individuals who contacted me and wanted to take part, um, many wanted to take part, like I said, but um, six individuals provided me with documents from their cases and I could see what was happening and going on in their cases. And the courts and these individuals were, were being abused further by the courts and the family court system and it's it's horrible like it's um like i said it's happening both men and women uh, although the uh, I, I do have four men and two women besides myself so there'll be seven stories uh, and they're all at different phases um some of them include uh, allegations of molestation of their child um some have no allegations of any abuse whatsoever, but still no time for the parent to see their children. And it's all being controlled by the other party. So there's been no reason to vary custody and access from a shared model. Yet that is what has been in place for years. And the other parent has been struggling very hard to get the situation recognized and get the children involved in that situation help. It's uh, it's very sad mm -hmm. that um, the services are out there to help these people, but they're just being overlooked. And uh, that's what I'm, I want to try to do. And I want the other people that are taking part want to share what they've been through 
so that hopefully others will see parts of what's happening to them and they may be able to overcome some of the barriers and possibly move forward instead of getting stuck the way we were in our cases. Mm-hmm. So when, when you say when they, you get stuck, I mean, I, obviously when you get sucked into family court, it's like you have to ride it out until it runs its course. Well, that's exactly it. Um, you turn over control to uh, a group of other people. And this is one of the things I, I find. And, and I was, I was going to, I think I'll be in the documentary. Um, and I was just uh, trying to figure out how to write it up is that um, one of the things I hear most is I can't believe two adult individuals, good incomes are educated and you, you can't come to an agreement and you're, child custody and access time with your child like what's wrong with you people Mm -hmm. um i've almost every judge i've in front of i think has said that to me and my ex in our situation Mm -hmm. and a lot of them believe it takes two to tango and while it takes two to tango that there is kind of uh, a give and take thing with two people kind of working together maybe not working together one's reacting to the other but still there's two people involved and it it uh they say well it has to be both is because this situation can't be driven by one person and that's where the courts are wrong right you're right yes that these cases are all driven by one party and they're driven because that party suffers from a, a disorder where they are unable to let control of things they need to control the situation and they are not willing to negotiate. They are willing to dictate their terms. And if you don't like that, too bad. And these are the people that will deny you access to your children. And you call the police and the police say, well, we don't enforce court orders. Mm. So the police need to have the ability to step in in these cases. Uh, um, Monday of this week, I had the opportunity to meet with Bill Oliver. He's um, the MLA for my area that I live in. For, for the, he's a um, member of the Legislative Assembly for the province of New Brunswick, mm-hmm. and he's also the Speaker of the House. Now, it's not the first time I've met with him to discuss issues of this nature, but um, this time he, um, he was more open because the Divorce Act in Canada changed. Uh, March 1st of this year to recognize coercive controlling behaviors and the judges and lawyers are also supposed to recognize these behaviors so they can identify high conflict cases and address them properly now currently uh, all courts all judges all lawyers try to resolve cases through a resolution, uh, conflict resolution is what they call it. We're going to put in an, a conflict resolution process. There's already one in place. We call them case conferences where we try to get you to settle things out. And if they don't there, they progress on to another case conference and then on to mm-hmm. trial. Now, again, um, case conference, if you got two reasonable parties, these can settle the two parties. There can be some agreement and the, that process will work. 
for those parties. But as Stephen Miller stated in um, his report to the state of Massachusetts in 2014, when you try to use normal therapy methods on a high conflict divorce where one party is has a disorder where they need to control things, these normal methods of dispute resolution are not going to work. In fact, they're going to make things worse. And that's the stage they have to stop dealing with this as a civil matter and possibly look at it as a criminal matter to get resolved because uh, Jennifer Harmon recognizes these behaviors as intimate partner terrorism and family terrorism, which is, I think, quite accurately describes the situation. You've got one person who is dictating the terms if they aren't followed. They take the children and run away and hide and deprive you of your time with your children. And during that time, they actually actively work to make them fear or hate you. Mm -hmm. So this is the process that needs to be recognized so it cannot continue. Um, when I started and mentioned that I was going to do the documentary, I was going to focus on my case because I have lots of, uh, lots of videos, lots of evidence, lots of recordings, lots of emails. I, I, I've got a large amount of evidence. Uh, but when other people started coming forward, they also had quite a bit of evidence. Mm -hmm. And I'll share this with you. Um, there's one individual who, in, his, in the court documents for his case, there was a clinical psychologist asked to come in and give an assessment of the case. And their assessment of the case named parental alienation. Hmm. Now, while they said this was a borderline case, this will inevitably, inevitably become a case of alienation if the child sticks with the parent that suffers from a fixed and false belief. A fixed and false belief is another term for delusion. Mm -hmm. And uh, when a child shares the delusion of a parent, that's the third indicator to give a clinical diagnosis of child psychological abuse according to the DSM-5 testing standards. This clinical psychologist in the province of New Brunswick was qualified to recognize this. And at the time, there I'm not sure exactly what the access, custody and access schedule was, but after the report and the trial date, the mother got access and father got visitation. So that was years ago. And now this father is still making applications to the court, fighting to get his daughter protected from the decision the judge made that ignored the report of the specialist saying if this child is left in this situation they're going to be this is going to be a situation of child psychological abuse mm -hmm. and that's exactly what has happened and he shared that report with me and i felt horrible and i saw that and i'm like how can this even happen Right. He, they brought a specialist in that recognized it, but the judge didn't. Mm. The judge can't make decisions on their own fears or their feelings. They're supposed to make decisions on the evidence, and that's another thing. There's no accountability for judges when they make the wrong decisions in this case, on, mm. in these cases. 
Oh, exactly. Um, I did a podcast yesterday with Kenneth Gottfried, and he yes. had written three books. I don't know if you got to listen to that one from yesterday, but he was talking about calling these judges out and calling them child abusers and placing them on citizen's arrest. I, I agree. Um, when you have a, a report by a clinical uh, psychologist that states that if the child stays in this this setting, they're going to be abused. And then the judge puts them there. They're complicit in, in child abuse, as far as I'm concerned. And there are other cases similar to that going on. And I don't want to give too much away of the parties involved because um, most of these people involved are still going through the court process. And again, they're doing a good job of documenting what they're doing. And I'm trying to help them get through the barriers a little quicker mm -hmm. uh, because when you, you're, you represent yourself or your pro se, when you make a motion or you file some papers, uh, they usually get hit away somewhere. Um, for an example with me, I filed a lawsuit against the St. John police department for their part in me losing custody of my children because they arrested me for uh, criminal harassment and placed me on uh, recognizance, which means I was no, not allowed to go near my ex or her children or her boyfriend or his friend or anywhere. So they, they made a big long list of people I couldn't contact. Mm -hmm. And on that list was um, her boyfriend's brother who, works at the same place as I do. So, mm. so that I could go to work, I had to contact the police and get them to change that, that line. Oh, brother. So, yes. So, so I'm allowed to go to work now. They removed that. Things go on for a while. Um, I'm not having contact with anyone. Um, arrangements were made for me to pick up my children one weekend and it was done through our lawyers. Uh, third party was all set to be there to exchange children. I showed up my children uh, for my children, and no one was there. I contact. <coughs> I contacted the RCMP, which would be similar to a state police force, and said, "My children aren't here. Um, uh, they don't know where they are. Supposed to be here. So I'm supposed to be able to pick them up." So the RCMP officer contacted my ex. He called me back. He said, oh, she's just waiting for you to pick the children up. She's at her place. I said, well, I'm not allowed to go there. All exchanges need to be done through a third party. Mm -hmm. And I said, um, the third party is currently out of town because she said they weren't needed. So they're, they're out shopping. I'm sitting here at their home. Uh, no way of getting my children. I said, could I get a third party to call and pick up my children from me? Someone that knows her as well. The officer thought that was a good idea. So... A friend uh, that was known to both me and my ex called her up and said, I'm going to pick up the kids for Bill. She launched into a tirade, hung up on him. The St. John Police Department hauled my friend into the police station and interrogated him. I've got a DVD of that interrogation. Then they arrested me for breach of undertaking for indirect contact for having him make the phone call. That's ridiculous. Oh yes. So I had to go to trial facing criminal charges for breach of undertaking for indirect contact. Now, 
the criminal harassment charges were dropped because of insufficient evidence. Mm -hmm. uh, and they didn't. Now, if there was insufficient evidence for me to be arrested for criminal harassment, the peace bond should never have been brought in place because it was brought in place based on the fact I was falsely accused of harassing her. So they kind of backdoored me into a criminal trial where I could go to jail mm -hmm. for having a friend call to pick up my children for me because she told the babysitter not to be there. Uh. So I did, I did face a criminal trial and, and it gets even better than that. Um, the day before the criminal trial, the RCMP officer went and met with the Crown prosecutor. Uh, she interviewed him. And then she told him not to show up to trial. So an RCMP officer was under subpoena by both the Crown and by the defense to show up as a witness. That was October 3rd of 2016, uh, um, a Monday, that he had met with Kelly Winchester was the Crown Prosecutor at the time. So the trial's October 4th. We show up in the morning. He's not there. Mm. My lawyer's asking, where is he? He's under subpoena. Crown Prosecutor says, oh, I told him we didn't need him. Well, you can't dismiss a witness, and especially one that's our witness. So when the judge showed up, he said, get that officer in here immediately. And in the end, I was found not guilty for breach of undertaking for indirect contact because I was following the direction of a person in authority. I had no criminal intent to break the law. In fact, I called the police and asked how best to handle the situation so I could get my children. Right. If that officer didn't show up, I would have found guilty uh, because the, the Crown prosecutor obstructed justice by telling the witness not to show up that she knew would prove my innocence. Oh, that's that's really low. It is. Um, oh. But again, they're, they're doing everything they are based on this narrative that these children are in danger. Mm -hmm. And they're saving these children from a person who is bad, who is abusive, um, and me, I'm a jujitsu instructor, so she said I could kill people with a snap of my finger, getting pressure points, like Bruce Lee or yeah. Jet Lee or something. Like I could just, you know, kill people at, the, at, at whim by striking them with a finger. Um, and it was said in court. <laughs> was, oh, no. Oh. Yeah. I've got the court recording and the court transcript. Um, so anyway, uh, I was found not guilty. But still, the judge granted a peace bond against me for one year. Now, for that entire year, my ex continued to try and provoke me, gaslight me. When I would show up to exchanges, I would not say anything or commute any, uh, communicate in any way. Um, she would be hissing at me and trying to provoke me. And... Uh, I just ignored her, but uh, it happened so frequently and so often. And I had so many recordings of it. I took it to the RCMP, and then they they began an investigation into her for criminal harassment because mm -hmm. she she asked for a 
recognizance to keep me away from her because she said I was harassing her. And then she kept coming around me. One incident in particular, I, uh, I went to the daycare to pick up the children. The daycare closes at six. Mm-hmm. And I stopped at the Irving after work, a local grocery store, convenience store. I stopped there and I'd sit there and wait there till 5.55 so that there'd be no chance of me running into her. Uh, the daycare closes at six. No way I can run into her. So 5.57, I'm pulling into the parking lot of the daycare and my ex is hiding. She's parked in between the daycare and the church that's next to the daycare. Mm-hmm. So she gets out, walks into the daycare, drives out, drives away at this, and I'm recording all this because I'm parked about a quarter of a mile away or however far away the length of the parking lot was. Hmm. I was parked a good distance away. I record it. She drives away at uh, 5.58, and I pull up and pick up my children. That evening, I got a phone call from the RCMP stating that she wanted me arrested for harassing her, for bothering her at while I was there to pick up my children from the daycare. I said, well, um, you're, you're welcome to see the videos I have uh, and to show you what actually took place. Um, they weren't interested in the videos. They knew because, again, they were already investigating her for false statements mm-hmm. and criminal harassment. Now, that went to the Crown, and the Crown declined to prosecute. Now, that first Crown prosecutor who tried to put me in jail, she became a judge less than a year after she had tried to put me in jail. (laughs) So the following year when uh, my ex was being investigated for criminal harassment by the RCMP and this prosecutor's information sheet was passed forward for the Crown to review, it was turned down. And they did not prosecute. So I contacted the Attorney General's office to have them pull it from the St. John office because I felt that it was um, a little biased that uh, Mm -hmm. the people that worked there that tried to put me in jail just a year ago were looking at evidence to put her in jail. And, And they declined to prosecute. So the Deputy Attorney General contacted me. He pulled the file and... I have not seen any reports from it, but he said it was the same findings. I kind of doubt it, but again, he said the report exists, and I'm still trying to get that. Yeah, and how come you can't get that report? Is it because you're not an attorney or something? Is that their excuse? Well, there's lots of excuses. Um, I've... um, uh, we have the right to information and protection privacy act and we've got the federal uh right to information act uh, or access to information act and uh right to privacy act so each province and the federal government each has legislation around these issues now i contacted one uh federal agency because uh, the ombud I made a complaint against another federal agency or provincial agency because they failed to do their job. And it took them a, for a year to conduct their investigation and they found no wrongdoing. I said, well, um, who conducted this investigation? It took you a year and no one's ever contacted me in the year. 
the entire year to get any information from me to conduct an investigation. How, how are you closing this file? How do you conduct investigations? Uh, well, um, what we're, we just wanted to send this to you to see if you had any information or if you agreed with it. So they turned around really quick. And again, I, am, I have the recordings of this person who was supposed to be investigating. It took a year to investigate, never contacted me or got any information from me. So I, <laughs> I asked for all the files they had they used to investigate. And they said their, their agency was exempt from the Right to Information Act. And they didn't have to provide me with anything. I had a, a lawyer retained at the time. I called him. And the following week, I was provided with the file. <laughs> so when it comes to things like that, and you're pro se, you're, you're self-represented, they lie to you. Mm -hmm. Those agencies are supposed to be there to help people. They're not doing that to help people. They're doing there to hide the corruption of the people that are in power because they're not following the rules of court, the rules of law, rules of evidence. They're not doing anything. They are just going up there, hearing a story, picking sides. And once they hear that side, all information or evidence that is put forward, it's ignored because it doesn't fit the story they were told. Well, that's they're they're believing what they want to believe, and uh, um, or they're being paid off. And they do, or and or they just don't care. They want to get this over with, and or drag it out to get more money out of everybody. Could be a combination of all of those things. Mm -hmm. Honestly, they they don't recognize it. They're overworked. The family court system is a mess. Mm -hmm. And in New Brunswick, ninety-eight percent of cases resolve without a trial. So, ninety-eight times out of a hundred. They don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. It's in the small percentage of cases that are high conflict because if they're going to trial, this needs to be labeled a high conflict case and it has to be dealt with differently. And that's what I'm trying to show here, how to identify these high conflict cases and what makes them a high conflict case and how you need to deal with them. Otherwise, these cases will go on for years without end because you have one party driving the whole situation. That party suffers from personality disorder, they have control issues, and there is never any reasonable agreement with a party like that. It has to be their way. Now you, you are required to capitulate to their terms mm -hmm. or nothing. That is all they will settle for. I, I find that these people that are high conflict with this dis personality disorder, they'll say that it's you, you're the one, you're the one that's crazy driving the bus. In fact, that's what I read in my, in the opposing attorney's notes about me that I'm crazy and I'm driving the bus when I want to get off the bus. I never wanted to get on the bus to begin with. But what the, with these personality disorders do is they are just putting this on the other person saying it's, it's all when it's really them. Yes, that's projection. Um, projection, again, right. That's, that's part of how this process works. It's when you get to the divorce stage, one party is already the abuser and the other party is already the victim. Mm -hmm. And the person that's the victim 
is probably in survival mode and they take on a lot of the characteristics of their abuser mm -hmm. because they have to in order to survive being in that relationship and atmosphere because of that they're at a heightened stage of basically that the, they're they're traumatized mm -hmm. and if you look at a traumatized person how they present they're erratic emotional unstable now when you go to court and a person is presenting that way the courts see them and say oh well obviously that's the cause right there look at how they are i can just imagine being with a person that acts like that all the time they, they it must be a nightmare instead of recognizing that this person that's not their normal range behavior and that's not their normal way they behave themselves mm -hmm. they're the victim of a trauma and they're displaying traumatized behaviors because they're traumatized and these people don't recognize that it doesn't make sense to them that's because they don't have the medical background to recognize the difference between a person here's a good example if you look at a person with borderline personality disorder and a person that is suffering from ptsd they will have an 80% overlap in indicators. Mm -hmm. So if a person isn't qualified to recognize the 20% of the indicators to be able to differentiate between a person with borderline personality disorder and a person that is suffering from PTSD, they can get it wrong. Mm -hmm. They don't know what they're looking at. And if they see two people there, and this could be the case, one of the parties in the divorce could be a borderline personality disorder. The other one could be suffering from PTSD. The borderline will be more composed. The one suffering from PTSD will be more erratic and again, be presumed the cause of the problems, according to Stephen Miller, 95% of the time. The hmm. courts make wrong decisions based on this premise alone, just how they present. They hear a story, what they see makes sense with the story they were told. Mm -hmm. And that's it. They ignore everything else because to see this person is acting normal and the things they are saying is reasonable. They'd have to see that person as being a reasonable person. They don't, they've already labeled them as the problem. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be education for, people, judges, prosecutors, lawyers, to recognize the people they're dealing with in these situations. Because if they don't recognize the abuser and the victim, they're going to mm -hmm. further victimize the victim mm -hmm. and allow the abuser to further abuse the, their victim, which causes these situations to escalate. Right. Peter Jaffe is a psychologist at the Western University in Ontario, and he has written a report stating that 30 child deaths could be avoided each year in Canada if people would recognize the signs of these high-conflict cases of family violence and intervene and step in and help the people in these, these families. And um, that's very important 
to happen. Mm -hmm. That's that's that needs to happen throughout the system to uh, prevent cases from going on for years. A good example of that would be the case of John Mast. Mm -hmm. John Mast, who was proven to be a good father, a good parent, a good person, mm -hmm. was denied access to his children over three years and false allegations, who ended up dead because another party shared the persecutory delusion she created. Mm -hmm. That led to the murder of John Mast. That's how damaging these persecutory delusions can be, the sharing of these false narratives. They're also detrimental and destroy children when they are subjected to these false narratives because the children, the children feel as if this is also part of their failing. If one of their parents is bad, mm -hmm. they must be bad too. And it's terrible that these people don't recognize what they do to their children, but the fact is they don't because their driving goal is control. And to maintain the illusion of perfection that they have tried to create in uh, their world. Mm -hmm. Well, with the uh, John Mast case, um, it's beyond me why other people haven't been brought forth and uh, jailed. I think I, I really think those kids should be turned over to the to the Mast family. I agree. And um, as far as I know, the children are still staying with the mother, who was the one who, again, created this persecutory delusion that was shared with an adult. So if her father, who was a grown adult, was, was subjected to this shared persecutory delusion, the children are most likely subjected to it as well. Now, that's child abuse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, that's another problem we have because in these diagnosis cases of child abuse, and, and some of them in this documentary, you know, have that. The, mm -hmm. the, the courts, child protection, the police, no one, no one's still doing anything. You've got a report from one of the world-leading experts in the field of alienation, parental alienation. And uh, the courts still don't want to do anything. They, uh, they, they, they just, it doesn't fit with what they had done for the past years. It was, it was a complete 180. And uh, they basically shut it out of court and don't know how to deal with this moving forward. And it's a shame because it, 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 it literally lists that, children are suffering from abuse and what the results of that abuse is going to be. Mm -hmm. And still no one is taking action to help them. So yeah, this, this is what, to, yeah, this needs to be changed. You know, um, I don't know how soon that will ever happen. I, I don't either. Um, I see different countries around the world 
making uh, alienation a crime. Uh, New Brunswick, sorry, not New Brunswick, Canada adopted a new uh, divorce act that came into effect March 1st of 2021 to recognize course of controlling behaviors mm-hmm. um, such as denying access to a child, um, making false statements to a child, causing the child to fear a parent. Mm-hmm. This is course of controlling behavior, and those are now recognized by the court and grounds for varying custody and access in these cases. Hmm. Problem is, while the federal government created this new legislation, lawyers, provinces, and judges are still just trying to maintain the status quo and continue to do things they always did. Mm-hmm. They don't really understand these new concepts, these new diagnoses and new way of doing things. And uh, they're a big part of allowing the abuse of these children to continue. And it's it's sad, Mm -hmm. their job is to help them. And uh, they're failing, they're failing Mm -hmm. the children and they're failing these families. So how long is your documentary film? I'm hoping for it to be right around an hour and a half. I don't want it to be too long. I could load it with information, but um, again, that doesn't get everyone's attention. No one wants to sit there and learn all these statistics. Mm-hmm. I think Ginger Gentile did a great job with her race and family. And I want to do something along those lines of trying to show the different steps of the process. Like alienation begins while you're still with your partner, your spouse. And the next step will be the police, then child protection, and the courts, and how all these different agencies influence whether or not you get to see your children. Mm-hmm. Because once the status quo is maintained, it's awfully hard to change it. Mm-hmm. And you have to learn how to get the information because one of the parties that has taken part in the documentary I had no why, had no idea why. Uh, almost everyone she contacted for help was so angry at, at them. It's, um, uh, anyway, a freedom of information request goes out, uh, to child protection, to the police and find out that there are 30 some complaints against that individual for child abuse and other things that they weren't even aware were out there. So they had no idea that all this paperwork had been created against them. So they were already fighting an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. They didn't even know it. So you have to know what you're dealing with mm-hmm. and you have to be able to find that information so you can start to really cover the process that is happening to show how these agencies and these other bodies have been enlisted as flying monkeys to attack you to achieve their end or their goal, which is they want full control of the situation, mm-hmm. sole custody. And when they obtain their sole custody, when they get the judge's order, they immediately run down to domestic relations to file child support on you. Yes, that's that's another thing that comes along with the uh, custody is the child support. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, uh, the courts haven't set this up very well. Um, they've set up an adversarial system where they say they're doing things in the best interest of the children, but basically they're hanging the children in between the parents like a pinata and say, try to break them down on your side. If they end up on your side, 
you get the money. You know, mm -hmm. it's 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 sad. It's 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 destroying families. Mm -hmm. um, there's a much greater number of people in society that are displaying tra personality traits or spectrum range behaviors of narcissism or borderline personality mm -hmm. than there were just 10, 15 years ago. So those rates are going up, and I believe is because of the breakdown of the family unit. Uh, children are being raised more by these individuals that are suffering from borderline or narcissistic personality disorder or sociopaths, and they are passing on their behaviors. And instead of children developing a good, healthy sense of self and good, healthy attachment bonds, they're, they're, they almost feel like they're being attacked by people and they have to protect themselves from everyone because mm -hmm. that's what their family life was like. They get their different roles in a family like that. You've got your scapegoat, you've got your golden child. Um, in the different roles, the people are treated different ways. Um, the scapegoat is, get, gets picked on by the whole family because they're targeted as the people that, as the person that can be attacked without any repercussions. Now, and if, if you go after the golden child, the golden child's got the protection of the abuser, or the alienator. Mm -hmm. So they're the ones getting what they want all the time, which again creates conflict between that person and their siblings. It's again, a, a, a triangulation. Mm -hmm. Triangulation is used throughout this process, whether they talk to the police, they talk to child protection, they talk to their lawyer, They'll say this person said this, this person said that, and and try. They're telling stories throughout, and trying to convince people that these children are fear and class these other people, and they'll tell you the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it's it's there. They're, they're they they enlist the help of flying monkeys, and the flying mm -hmm. monkeys then go attack the victim who's already been victimized and now is being further victimized because he's being treated like a criminal instead of getting help mm -hmm. and what people don't realize is it's just not one flying monkey there could be eight of them <laughs> on you <laughs> yes it, it is it's uh, well child protection the police um those are just two then people can go in and start enlisting the doctors they could be uh, um allegations of sexual abuse sexual assault misconduct it's so again other the, the hospitals could be involved nurses doctors and if it gets to that point, then psychologists could be called in. Mm -hmm. And again, you need someone with a very high level of understanding of these situations to come to a correct diagnosis. Mm -hmm. They can get it wrong and make everything a lot worse. Mm -hmm. Well, I even had um, close friends. Um, I've had their husbands turn into flying monkeys. For my <laughs> I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> Well, that's it. It's um, it, it's almost like cult indoctrination. Uh, these these this this mother convinced her father that her ex husband had abused the children, and she repeated it so much. Even though he passed a lie detector test by the FBI, he de he passed a psychosexual exam by the FBI. Showed no deviant sexual behavior. Not a, he wasn't a pedophile. No 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 
sexual deviations whatsoever. And in fact, the only thing they, could, they ever found out was that he was just a good father and he wanted to be with his children. That no, no inappropriate touching had ever taken place. Yet, because the mother continually told the story mm -hmm. and someone was sympathetic to the story they were hearing, they killed somebody else. Mm -hmm. They thought they were protecting their children, their grandchildren, sorry. That, that, the grandfather thought he, he, was protect, he thought he was protecting his grandchildren. How bad is that? The children lose their grandfather, they lose their parent, and the mother who caused all this to happen by telling different stories to different parties through triangulation caused it all to happen and she still got the children in her care. I hope that, uh, I hope the truth gets resolved real quick in that case. Um, that is just, just dumbfounding to me. Um, it is, it's, it's so sad, those children have been been through so much and uh to lose those mm -hmm. people in their life it's it's that they need a lot of help and support mm -hmm. and I, I i bet they're not even getting any help that's the thing that's sad it is and you're right they're probably not because they're still with the abuser who created the false mm -hmm. story that led to the the death and possible first-degree murder charge mm -hmm. which which would land up in another death do you have a title do you have a title for your documentary yet i do or, or maybe... um yeah i i um i came in i came up with it quite a while ago i might have wanted to review it but uh parental alienation of the family court system i want to try to show the steps from start to finish of how things progress and what you can do to try to prevent the progression once it starts mm -hmm. if it's starting down on a false false narrative you need to actively take part in your case and not sit back and wait for things to get resolved or people to finally realize there are lies involved by mm -hmm. that time the children will have suffered long-term damage. Mm -hmm. The sooner you can get this addressed, the sooner you can get the children help. There's a case in the United States where, and they covered it on 60 Minutes. The daughter helped her father kill the mother. Mm -hmm. So he wouldn't have to pay any more child support because it was affecting his income. Uh, yes, I remember that. <laughs> so that girl, I think, spent three years in jail, and she's out now. She's in university. Hmm. Um, so she's um, she's back out. I don't know. I think the father's still in jail. Mm -hmm. Her mother's dead. But that just shows the kind of influence these personalities have over their children and the damage that can be done. Like the... That girl, she, she, I think she was 16 when this happened. 16, she spent three years in jail. Like, how can that not change the rest of her life? 
Yeah, he damaged those kids uh, in more ways than one. Yes. And again, people don't understand how parents can do that to their children. And it's because they have a personality disorder where everything revolves around them and they see their children as tools or items or things Mm -hmm. like pawns that they can use to manipulate to achieve their goals for what they want. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so easy to overlook that because most people logically can't think that a parent would do that to their children Mm -hmm. and they dismiss it. But that is exactly the case. These, these, these people have no, no regard for their children. And those are the ones that where the cases are the most dangerous because they that, that those cases could lead to filicide. Mm-hmm. Filicide is where a parent kills their own child. Mm-hmm. There's a term for it, and it's horrid. Oh, very sad. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm trying to. Uh, take the information I've learned from my case and the other people that uh, have shared their information with their cases with me to try to create shortcuts to get past barriers to the normal process and try to get recognition for of your case so that the parties, the courts, somebody involved recognizes that this is a high conflict case that needs to be looked at and treated differently because regular methods are only going to create an escalation in the situation and make things worse. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm hoping to show that pattern because mm-hmm. once you see the pattern, you can't unsee it. And it's in every case of alienation. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that would open up a lot of people's eyes that have gone through this and said, Oh, that, that sounds familiar. That happened to me. And yes, Hopefully, the judges will also look at your documentary as well. Wonder how you can get. I'm it. hoping them. <laughs> I, I, I'm just hoping to release it. I, I, I I'm not a filmmaker. Um, I hope to have it done before this, but COVID has mm-hmm. played its part in preventing me from getting a lot of this done. Uh, I'm trying to deal with people in two provinces, so the travel restrictions has made it difficult. Um. I've got lots of footage and um, I just have to try and get it together. I want to get this put out before I go back for my trial in January of 2022. Mm -hmm. So that I don't believe any of the cases that are currently ongoing that are involved in this documentary are going to be resolved by that point. Mm -hmm. So I'm already, you know, planning on making a second one to uh, follow up on the cases of the people involved mm-hmm. and see if the new regis- uh, the new changes to the Divorce Act and the information that I've provided, we're all working together on and sharing to try and get our cases to move forward, if any of it's working or if it's still facing the same old uh, delays. And uh, either way, we want to show what's happening. So if it is working. We want to be able to share that and let people know what will work and 
try to help them get through this process as quickly as possible because the sooner the sooner you get it resolved the sooner you can go on with your life mm -hmm. hey how can people reach you if they want to talk to you they can reach me on my facebook page um I'm Bill Edgett on Facebook. I live in Grand Bay, Westfield, New Brunswick. I'm uh, an admin for Parental Alienation Worldwide Support Group. And I am the admin for the two Canadian Parental Alienation Worldwide Support Group pages. We have one for New Brunswick and one for Nova Scotia. I also helped run the Canadian uh, Parental Alienation Support Group page. So. Um, if, oh, you're busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with a few groups. So I do try to uh, communicate with everyone who uh, messages me or sends me uh, an email or PM uh, and try to provide them as much information as I can, which is where I got the six people to join in for the documentary. Mm -hmm. um, so I take calls from people quite frequently and uh, anyone that needs help or just someone to listen to and understand what they're going through because you're not alone in this situation mm -hmm. you're not alone other people are going through it we're trying to learn collectively as a, as a group what we've all been through so we can come up with a solution that works for all of us definitely well thank you for coming on to the show and I definitely will have you back on to see how this uh, film has progressed Great. I, I thank you very much. And I thank you again for your time to have me on here tonight. I, I really appreciate it. Appreciate well, I, appreciate, I appreciate you doing all this too. That's a lot of work. People don't realize it's very difficult to make a film. So uh, don't jump off. Uh, Slam the Gavels a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms that in turn perpetuate parental alienation. I am your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Join us here again with Bill and other exciting guests. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Marianne. It's been a pleasure to be here. <laughs>